the word of our Lord from the Old Testament book of Genesis. And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. And so Adam gave titles or names to all cattle, to birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And the Lord took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The word of our Lord from the Gospel of Mark. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so immediately the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness And Jesus was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and went after him. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and hearing of your word. We pray that you would instruct us by it and that you would call us by it. 
And we pray that you would help us to respond to your word with the totality of our lives. And we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus, the incarnate word. Amen. As a church, we have what we call a set of values. And the very first of those values is relational community. And you know, values are not just ideals. They're not principles even. Values are about what makes you who you are. They come out of, out of a person's core and out of a church's core. And as a church, years ago when we were replanting ourselves over in this area of town, we were wrestling with who we are. And the very first thing that we said about ourselves is that we want to be a church that's more than just kind of the handshake on Sundays. We want to be a church that has real people living in real community together. Real people who have real relationships together. Friends. We want to treat one another like family. And we want to treat all those who come through our doors as family. We want our growth to, to come out of that sort of relational, communal, familial type of setting. And so all of who we are and all of what we do comes out of that identity. Comes out of that, that deep sense of relationality and that deep sense of community that we think is important. And not just an important principle that we ought to follow, but is an important aspect of who we are and who God has created us to be as His people. And so this morning as I share concerning the topic of transformative relationships, I want you to keep that in mind, that this is who we say as a congregation we are. That we are about relationships. And not just relationships, but our second value is transformative or transformative uh, or yeah transformative discipleship and so we're about relationships that transform us and ultimately relationships that then have the capacity to transform others and the community around us and so the context for all that we do is about relationships everything comes out of this which makes ministry very hard and impossible if folks aren't plugged into relationships. Because this is who we are. Relationships are the fabric of reality. That's what part of what Trinity Sunday is all about. It's about declaring that God before creation is not alone. God is a triunity of three persons living in eternal and blessed relationship. God, in His very being, is love. He does not need to create others in order to be love. For in His core, He is love. Who He is, is love. And so relationships are the fabric and the building blocks of all of reality. The one eternal and living God is a triunity of relationships. The 
20th century theologian Karl Barth, perhaps one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, at least one of the most monumental theologians of the 1900s, said Trinity is the Christian name for God. We don't just believe that there's some higher power out there. We believe something very distinctive about the one who made all things. That he is three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Dr. Kinlaw, who recently passed away, and one of the most influential theologians in my life, he put it a different way. He said, In the heart of eternity, there is one who cries out, not Lord, but Father. Before God created everything, before there was anything over which He could be sovereign, there was a Father who says, You are my begotten Son. And there is an eternal Son who cries out, Abba, Father. And so relationships are about how God created each of us. This is how God works. This is part of who He is, and so it's a part of what He does. He creates each and every one of us through relationships. Some relationships that are a mess. Some relationships that don't last very long. Others that last on for 60 or more years. God created each one of us through relationships. I'm thankful for the relationship of my mom and my dad. For the investment that they've made in my life, not just in giving me life, but also in nurturing me in life, in shaping my life. The kids have been, uh, the older kids have been doing some family biographical type stuff. And so they've been asking a lot of questions about family history. And, and we had to tell them, well, they're, they're kind of points along the path where things get dark and we don't know what's back there. My dad was adopted. I told Lindsay, I found out this week he was adopted from New Orleans. I had no earthly idea. She said, how did you not know that? I knew that before we got married. I said, I probably heard it. It just never sank in. But my dad and, and his sister, my Aunt Michelle, they were both adopted. And so what we know about their bi- biological families before them we, is nothing. It's nil. But God creates each one of us through relationships. And not only does he create us through relationships, but he shapes us, each and every one of us. Our, our identity as persons is rooted in the relationships that we have. Those who form us, those who form our character, which the formation of character is something that is grossly negligent in our culture now. But each and every one of us is being formed by those who are around us. Everyone around us. Even that cantankerous neighbor that drives us crazy. God 
uses others. He uses the relationships that we have with others, good or bad, to shape us. I grew up with a a number of friends and I shared a little bit of that with you just a few weeks ago. Um, We were, once we got a little older and realized we were being called into ministry, we became part of Brother Roman Miller's Preacher Boys. And those Preacher Boys are still a foundational part of my life. Looking forward to seeing several of them, uh, hopefully all of them at annual meeting this week. We are shaped by those around us. We're shaped also, consequently, by those that have shaped them. Again, relationships are the fabric of reality. We are made in the triune image. And hence, the primacy the priority of relationships. In the creation narratives of Genesis 1 and 2, God said once, it is not good. After He had seen all that He had made, and after He had declared it to be good, declared light to be good, declared the day and the night to be good, declared the sea and the land separated to be good, after He created the, the, the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and all, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, God said it was good. But at one point, He said it's not good. And He said it was not good that man should be alone. And this small little passage that sticks out like a sore thumb in Genesis 1 and 2 is not just about the theological underpinnings or the implications of marriage. But this is about the reality of the image of the triune God in us. It is not good to be alone. For we are relational creatures. We have been made in the triune image. God, who is a relationship of persons, created us through relationships of persons to reflect Him, to be image bearers of Him, to live like Him. And this underscores the tragedy and the trauma of sin. Because sin always brings with it Wounded relationships. You see it in Genesis chapter 3 with the man and the woman being pitted against one another. Adam, what have you done? It's that woman that you gave me, Lord. And suddenly you've got these wounded relationships. I didn't read the final verse of chapter 2. But it says, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, were both naked. They were with one another and they were unashamed. But within just a handful of verses, as Adam and Eve turn against God and choose for themselves their own way, they become shameful and embarrassed. Because sin always brings wounded relationships. It always brings conflicted relationships. You've got man and woman kind of 
being pitted against one another, but they're also being pitted against the, the, the created order. Woman, what have you done? It was that snake, that sneaking snake in the garden grass. Manual work by the sweat of your brow. You'll work and work and work and you'll think you're getting roses and those roses will have thorns. You'll think that you're providing food and you'll find that the crops just won't grow. You'll be frustrated. Perhaps you'll dislike work so much that you'll celebrate your ability to work by not working and then call it Labor Day. You've got these conflicted relationships that always come with sin. And with sin always comes not just wounded relationships and conflicted relationships, but also estranged relationships. It's always painful when we see estrangement in families. And you find Adam and Eve, as they are caught up in their sin, become estranged even from God. God's first question is, where are you, Adam? And then his second, of course, is, what have you done? Not only are we made in the triune image, we are remade in the triune image. The Trinity... God being triune provides the theological shape for our redemption in Christ. There are countless passages, several of them in the New Testament epistles, that speak of our salvation, of our being brought near to God in Trinitarian language, the work of God the Father through His Son and by the, by the Spirit, that we have been raised to new life by God through Christ His Son. That He's put His Spirit in our lives as a seal over our lives. You can't think of the work of salvation. You can't think of redemption without thinking of the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is in reflection of this relationality, this triune image that God brings us to Himself. He brings us to Himself through the ministry of others. You ever thought of that? Not a single one of us knows God apart from others. Not a single one of us. We can come up with guidepost stories or what have you about how a guy's in a hotel room in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and he's all alone and at the end of his rope and he grabs a Gideon Bible. Who placed that Gideon Bible? And not only that, how many countless people in his life have been praying for him and planting seed in his life? How long's his grandma been praying for him? God brings us to Himself in light of this relationality. It is through His triune image that He even keeps us to Himself. He invites us to come 
through relationships and He keeps us through relationships. He gives us the relationships that, that provide for us stability and accountability. The relationships that, that do what the New Testament calls edification, that build us up, that strengthen us, that help us get roots down in life. Relationships. And it is through the work of relationships, through this remaking in the triune image, that God conforms us to Himself. Sanctification is a big theological term. And it's one that us Wesleyan folks like to, like to use. But this idea of being, being made holy, this idea of cleansing of heart and life, God does through relationships. Because His goal is to not just make us a better us, but His goal is to make us like His Son. To make us like Jesus. To conform us to the image of His Son. For we were created to reflect God. And we've broken that image, but God is able to restore that image in His Son by the work of His Spirit. And He calls us to grow in holiness with one another, together. Jesus calls us to Himself and He calls us into community together. Notice what He says in the Gospel account. As He begins His ministry, He's been baptized and there, I don't know how John baptized Him. We don't even know that John immersed Him, believe it or not. Came up out of the water, could meant He came up out of the, the river. They're down in a shallow river. We don't know. We don't know what John said, what he did as he was baptizing him. But what we do know is that John knew this was the Messiah for God had spoken to John saying that you will see the Spirit descending upon one when he is baptized in the form of a dove. And John testifies that he saw the dove descending upon Jesus when he came up out of the water. And there's the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus then is immediately driven out into the wilderness. He's, he's tempted by Satan and the angels are ministering to him. But then what does he do? He calls disciples. And his invitation is very simple. He doesn't tell them, go do this. He doesn't even give them a copy of a book by Dr. Kinlaw, which I would probably do and say, read this and let's talk next week. He says, follow me. Which is, ought to be like life transforming to us. That Jesus' invitation is, come with me. He doesn't even invite them to pray a prayer yet. I don't know when Jesus convinced the disciples to, to kneel down and pray the sinner's prayer, but his first invitation to them is very simple. Follow me. Where I'm going, you ought to come along. 
follow me together. Notice he's, he, the, the text tells us he calls two together, brothers, relationship. He calls two others together, brothers, relationship. Both of them fishermen. I, the thought occurred to me earlier this week. I wonder if they knew each other. So they're both there. I wonder if they're competition maybe. You know, James and John are out here fishing and what is it? Peter and Andrew are down here fishing and they're both kind of mending their nets. I wonder if they're looking at each other trying to see if they can get the net mended quicker than the other so they can get back out and get a better catch quicker. But Jesus calls them, follow me. Not just so that you can be with me, but follow me and I will make you Together, fishers of men. The work of redemption, the work of salvation in our lives is always in the context of relationships. For we are made in the triune image and we are remade in the triune image. And so what about our relationships. What about the relationships in my life and what about the relationships in your life? I cannot stress enough the urgency of the immediate when it comes to relationships because the relationships that matter most are the ones that are right there. Especially family and friends. It was a lawyer, probably a sleazy one, who asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Oh, what a, what a clever dodge. Lord, let's, let's get lost in the theoretical for a moment. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus' instructions are found in the form of a story. And he is essentially saying, quit asking the question, who is my neighbor? And instead, be a neighbor. You know what it is to be a neighbor. You know what it is to build a good relationship. You know what it is to care for others. And so simply do it. Which relationships are transforming you? For good or bad, because relationships always have the possibility of transforming us. Which ones are shaping you? Which ones are shaping you well? Which ones are shaping you poorly? Which ones do you desperately need? I want to say something very briefly that applies to some of us. And then I want to say a few things that very, very quickly apply to all of us. If you're married, you desperately need your marriage. No matter what. Desperately. If you have kids, you desperately need them and they desperately need you. 
for that matter, no matter the age. No matter how little they are, no matter how grown and independent they are, there is a desperate need. Those are immediate relationships that we can't get out of in life, that we can't wiggle around. And now something for all of us. You desperately need someone with whom you can bear your soul. Whether you're a guy or whether you're a gal, whether you're old or whether you're young, no matter what station in life you find yourself, you desperately need someone that you can not just... You know, oh, I like, I like this person because I can be real with them. Not just that, because being real isn't, isn't all there is. But someone that you can bear your soul to. Someone that can, that can take into themselves and not share with others the things that really hurt and the things that really plague and the things that really trip you up. Every last one of us needs someone that we can be as honest and forthright with as humanly possible. And kind of coming out of that, you desperately need someone to whom you've given the right to critique. That's right. Someone that you've said, please meddle because I don't want to be who I'll become if I don't have someone who can tell me, hey man, you got to quit doing that. Hey man, you got to quit that. You got to work on this. I don't like who you're becoming and I don't think you would like who you're becoming if you could just see yourself. That always stinks when it comes from a spouse. But we all need someone that we've said, to whom we've said, please, please do not let me become a monster. Do not let me let sin fester in my life. Do not let me be a jerk to my wife. Do not let me become too good for others. Do not let me think that I've got it all together and no one else has anything together. When you see me distancing myself, Check on me. When you see me shutting down, when you see me getting overly frustrated, spend time with me. We desperately, all of us, need someone to whom we've given that right. And you desperately need someone in whom you're investing yourself Because God has worked in every one of our lives and continues to work in our lives through relationships. We can't let that work stop there. We need to be investing ourselves in others. We need to be looking around us saying, Lord, 
to whom much is given, much is required. And Lord, You've given me so much. You have brought me so far. Who's someone that I can put my arm around and bring along with me? And sometimes that's someone much younger than us. It thrills my heart as a dad to see my kids run up to some of you and hug you and see that you don't push them away. We all need someone in whom we are investing ourselves. Because if we're not investing ourselves and we need that desperately, if we're not investing ourselves, we're becoming a cesspool. Constantly being cared for and never caring for others. Constantly being, being worried over. Constantly being invested in, but never investing in others beyond ourselves. We begin to see life as, as it revolves around us. We're the center. Which relationships are you missing out on? And which relationships am I missing out on? Often, those relationships are our neighbors. Our neighbor neighbors. You know, the folks that live next door. The folks that live across the street. The folks that live in the cul-de-sac. According to recent studies that were discussed on Breakpoint just a few weeks ago, 20% of us, 20%, say that we spend time regularly with our neighbors. That's one out of every five houses. So on a street that has 10 houses, only two of those houses spend any time together. Odds aren't good because my cul-de-sac, we've got 17 kids now that are 12 and under in our cul-de-sac. And it's like six houses. So there's not even, there's not 10 houses there. So there is no family there that we can be spending time with. Now, so, and I know it's not our neighborhood because, you know, our kids are constantly playing together. But 20% of us, only 20% say that we spend time regularly with our neighbors. A third of us say that we have never interacted with our neighbors. A third of your neighbors say that they have never interacted with you, with me. And that's just interaction. And a third of us say that we know none of our neighbors by name. How in the world is the gospel ever going to do its work in our neighborhoods if we don't even know the first name of the people that live and sleep just feet away from us? We live within a culture that is experiencing ever-increasing isolation 
and at the same time, and you would think this is obvious, ever-increasing loneliness. Obvious, right? You know, yeah, you isolate yourself, you become lonely. But normally we isolate ourselves not so that we can become lonely. We are isolating ourselves, but we aren't too happy with the loneliness that such isolation produces. We are relationally starving ourselves. And you know, when you starve the body, it begins to eat itself alive. As a result, it shouldn't surprise us that we are growing less humane as a culture and less human as a culture. We are created by a relational God and we were created for relationships. And we've got good news. It doesn't have to be that way. People don't have to live in loneliness. People don't have to live with no hope. People don't have to live where the only interaction they have is screaming at the CNN guy or the Fox News guy on the television. So very quickly, to wrap this all up, how do we foster transformative relationships? And I just want to give you three very brief pointers. First of all, you have to want them. To have transformative relationships, you have to want them. If you don't want them, you won't have them. Don't worry about it. We have to want these transformative relationships for ourselves and our advantage and our benefit and how God wants to work in our lives. And we have to actually want them for the sake of others. Lord, use me. Notice how immediately these early disciples dropped everything to follow Jesus. That's a key word in Mark's gospel. Those of you that wrapped up David's Bible study, David and Christie's Bible study at their home back before Christmas, you know that word immediately is used over and over and over again. And the text tells us very plainly, Jesus said, follow me. And they said, all right, we're coming. Goodbye family, goodbye work. We've found what we're looking for. We have found what our hearts have desired. We have found what we want. You have to want transformative relationships. Not only that, you have to tend to them. They take work. Transformative relationships. It's easy to have a relationship with someone that you shake their hand once every other week or so. But transformative relationships, the type that shape you, the type that impact you, the type that leave you forever changed, those take tending. They don't make themselves and they don't keep themselves. They cost you. They cost you time, they cost you effort, and they cost you money sometimes. You have to tend them. You've got to get together. You've got to get coffee together, preferably. You've got to get grab a bite to eat together. You've got to see each other for a few minutes after work. You've got to figure out a weekend that works for both families because we're all busy. But you have to tend them. They will cost you. And they demand priority. 
Those things that are important in life are the things that we prioritize. And sadly, our priorities are all too obvious to the people around us. They demand priority. They take sacrifice. It's not always easy to tend transformative relationships. They take a bit of sacrifice and they require nurture. For three years, Jesus invested his life in these disciples. And even then, having lived with the guy and traveled with the guy, they still didn't get it all the time. You know, there's a reason that high school friendships don't usually last. It's hard to nurture them. We'll be BFFs till the day we die. How you been doing? It's been, what, 15 years? Most of us, we haven't even spoken. Not much less see, you know, folks that we went to high school with, but spoken with them. Some of us are friends with them on Facebook and avoid them like the plague or like a stomach virus. Transformative relationships require nurture. You'll have to tend them. You'll have to want them. You'll have to tend them. And then lastly, you'll have to start them. That's right. No waiting around for someone else to make the first move. you're always waiting around for the other person to make the first move, the move will never be made and nothing will ever happen. These relationships won't start themselves. And no one else will start them either. We have to want them enough to tend them and to start them. Notice Jesus just abruptly walks into these men's world and says, drop everything and follow me. Come on. I wonder if he had to have like kind of a tagline. It'll be worth it. We can talk about relationships all day long until we're blue in the face. We can talk about how we value them, how we're about community, relational community. We can say our family's important and our family having good family friends is important and we want to get to know our neighbors. And we can talk about all this stuff as though it's ideals that we would like to attain someday in life and it will never happen until we get to work. But relationships are what reality is all built upon. God wants us to know Him. He invites us to Him. He invites us together. And He wants others to know Him and to love Him. And some of us perhaps need to spend time in prayer saying, Lord, I have neglected these 
great opportunities that you've placed in my life. I've cut myself off. I've sheltered myself. I've isolated myself. And Lord, I've grown lonely. Let's bow our heads while the band comes to play.